0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Mike Night podcast. My name is Marco Luis, and this is the podcast that brings you stories of artists and people on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and inspire you in the business. My guest today is incredible. He's an actor, he's a writer, he is a photographer, he's a filmmaker, he's a painter. I don't know what he can't do. Please welcome Nathan Harding to One Mike Night. Welcome, Nathan, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, thank you.
0: Thank you for spending some time with us here and uh, coming to One Mike Night. Listen, I have questions. Yeah. The first question is, who is Nathan Harding?
1: You know, that's a really good question because I was meditating the other day and working with my guide and It's interesting because what I went through was images of myself as a child riding a bike, and my parents weren't so present in my life. My parents actually separated in a divorce later, but I remember seeing these images of myself as a kid, just kind of like wandering around, trying to find himself, you know, having friends in the neighborhood, but also this sense of kind of being lost and absent. And then through the meditation, through working with the guide, uh, the next visual was basically me of my essence as just sand or smoke. So really nothing. (laughs) Yeah. So what I, what I see in terms of our, our essence, it, it remains, but it's like an energy. And I think these events that we have in our life and also in other lives, we have such an emotional attachment to it. So also as an actor, you know, we are emoting, we're telling stories so I can relate to it. But I think on some level, we get so locked into these relationships and these stories that really don't even exist anymore. So to answer your question, Honestly, it's just, I think we're all just energy and it's almost like there's a void space that we're in but we're just energy going through and and mixing and interconnecting.
0: Um,
1: And it takes different forms. So I don't know if that's the answer you wanted. Absolutely. <laughs> but, it absolutely
0: is. And I feel like that's where we are in the present tense of who you are. But I wanted—I just want to back it up just a little bit. And I want to find out what was it like for you growing up? You said your parents weren't present. But I think we need to know you know, what it was like and how did you get to the point where you realized that we are energy? We are all these things. What was the childhood like? Where, where, where did you fit in? Where didn't you fit in? What was it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Southern California, and they would film movies in our neighborhood. So I used to love to watch the films being made, uh, like Back to the Future, He-Man, uh, you know, I'm dating myself, but to be able to watch A cartoon or play with an action figure, and then to see the actual movie being shot like five blocks from your house Mm. as a kid is like a huge thing. So that was, yeah. yeah. So that was like my introduction to filmmaking and the idea of, you know, storytelling and and seeing all this stuff. But I would say, in terms of the more along the spiritual journey I would say as a kid you know you're figuring out yourself I'm also gay and you know I came out during the time when the AIDS epidemic was going on so when I came out to my mom you know she she thought I'd die of AIDS I mean that was a common narrative during that time so I think there was a, a big conversation of identity acceptance finding myself and then when I was a teenager and like around 16, I was always meditating. I had another friend who was fairly intuitive, and she was, she could be like my older sister. She was older than me. And so I'd have a lot of different conversations, philosophical conversations with her. But really, the first time where there was a big pull in terms of following my intuition was I had graduated from film school, I went to Chapman University in Orange, California, great private university. It's like the USC of Orange County. Great people learned a lot there. And I got a job at the William Morris Agency because I had been interning at Endeavor. Cause someone said, hey, if you wanna learn about the industry, you know, go intern at a talent agency. And I, I just took their advice. And William Morris hired me because I had interned with their competitor. And at the time, it was under Ari Emanuel's office, who is a large, um, now he basically owns William Morris Endeavor. But, uh, you know, (laughs) so there was a lot of, um, I guess you could say high profile people in the industry that I just kind of fell into. But I was working at the William Morris Agency. And it it was the first time I had worked in a very corporate type environment and it's extremely political. You have to align yourself with the right people very quickly. You're competing with former lawyers. You're competing with the son of so-and-so. So so you kind of get in there and then like you got six months basically to prove yourself. So I aligned myself with the head of television, Mark Itkin. I don't know where he's at now in the industry but he used to run uh, the TV department and I was going to be his first assistant. And basically you work with them and then they groom you and then you go on to another assistant, then you become a coordinator and then you, you know, you kind of go up the corporate ladder. But anyway, I had this very strong feeling that I needed to leave the United States. And people are like, you're crazy. Like what you've been able to do. experience in such a short amount of time, the opportunities, like people don't get those kinds of opportunities, but my intuition just, it was so strong that I needed to leave. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just quit. And I kind of went through this identity crisis. And then I had another friend who was at a management company and they're busy calling me and saying, well, you know, you want to get a job over here. And, and I just, I just had to just stop and listen to what was speaking to me. And then someone said, Hey, you like English? Why don't you go teach English in Japan? And I applied for a job and then I was in Japan for three and a half years and learned about English and Japan and, you know, had a great experience there. My first love was in Japan. He was a Brazilian who broke my heart. And then I, um, I continued with that calling And then I went to India and that's where things started to solidify a little bit more. India is a very spiritual place. And if you look at spirituality and energy and the uh, interconnection in Hinduism, it's like it's very alive. And so I lived in Bodh Gaya. I knew nothing about India. So this is- So I, I, I'm sorry,
0: I want to stop yeah. you for one second because I, I want to backtrack. So for everybody's listening and everybody's watching this. So you went through this identity crisis from being a child. You didn't know where you fit in. You, you, you were looking, you were absorbing, but you were still kind of lost to this really posh top, almost like number one agency in California dealing with these high profile people to deciding you were going to quit your job to find yourself, explore, figure out who you are. That's a huge, huge step. What, what? First of all, what gave you the courage to do that? That's number one. And 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 number two, yeah. Like, h- how did you do it?
1: Well, it was it, the pull was so strong. It's like a magnetic pull. So. It's almost like if you don't act on it, it's, it's like, it. imagine a magnetic, uh, so imagine a train and it's a magnetic, magnetic train. The tracks are magnetic and the train is going in a certain direction and it's pulling you along. And if you want to jump ship, I mean, you can do that, but it's so cool. It's so strong that you have to act on it. So my own ego and my own identity, you know, lack of self-worth. Yeah. All those things played a role. I mean, I had other people at the agency who are just like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, right. you're, you're turning down something that you, you, I would be very wealthy. You know, if I had just stayed in, in that, uh, along that timeline, So I just knew that I had to follow this pull and I am naturally curious. I mean, so I I just had to go with it. And things have worked out where the sort of the next step that I don't know presents itself. And Someone said, Yeah, you know, you like English. Why don't you try teaching English? And I was like, Oh, okay. So I just went and and did it, interviewed, and then they hired me, and then they gave me my visa, and then uh, provided a job and uh, accommodations. And that was my ticket outside of the United States to act on that and experience that. I'm also part Japanese. So there's also goes back to the idea of identity and culture and. Mm -hmm who yes. are you so it's like you know so that's connection, that was really yeah. good for me yeah
0: a connection to roots and, and spirituality through the roots yeah for sure yeah
1: what
0: and did then, you go ahead yeah
1: oh no sorry what were you gonna say I
0: was just gonna say so in in your trip what did you learn what did you learn say in Japan what was the what was the lesson you learned
1: I learned so so i'm mexican japanese irish english austrian german and native american so my I know. And there Bye. you have it,
0: folks. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, know, I was always asking, what are you? And then for casting, it's like they don't know <laughs> what it cast me. You know? You My said, name. I am
0: America right here. Everything
1: you <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I know. I'm like, I am who I am. But for whatever reason, in the world of entertainment, it's really not as diverse as we like to say no, it is. No, it's not.
0: It's not. You
1: know? It yeah. really isn't. A- yeah. So <laughs>
0: do you have I a hard time? Do you have a hard time identifying or do you just let
1: it? I am who I am. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I love my agents. I, I am thankful and grateful, but it's always interesting what I get considered for. And I've spoken with other actors who are multiracial or multiethnic. And what they've noticed is that casting tends to, they're more likely to cast someone who really fits a certain box instead of going with someone who's maybe ethnically ambiguous. This was their experience. And what they would do is they would actually track all of the auditions and see who got the role mm-hmm. and they were noticing it was very like either very white or very, you know, whatever, if it's Indian, like if they're mixed with white and Indian, it's like very Indian, but someone who looks mixed, it's you know, it's, it's kind of up for grabs. I find a lot right. of time. That, I feel
0: like that, that, yeah. that was sort of the past few years. I feel like in right now in current time, I think it's a little bit more ambiguous because I see the change in the shift in the mix of people here in, in the States and people are turning Brown and you're getting, you know, Afro Latinos, you're getting, you know, people who are Brown and Latin people who are, you know, mixed Asian and white. Or Asian and Black. So I think that there's there's a little bit of a shift happening. I do agree with you, though.
1: You know where the real evidence will be is for those characters and for those actors who are mixed is to actually see if the writers wrote a backstory that represents what they look like and who they are. Right. That's the real test in my mind.
0: Absolutely. And this is um, not to sidetrack, but this is a problem that a lot of uh, Latinos had with West Side Story and not West Side Story. Um, yeah. West Side Story. Yeah. And uh, what was the other one that Len Manuel did? Miranda did? Um, sorry, the name slipping me right now. Oh, in the Heights. In the Heights. In the Heights. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. You know, because there weren't a lot of, you know, dark skinned Latinos represented in the film. And the majority of people that live there are. Mm-hmm. So how you know the casting probably didn't work. But although it was his vision of what it was going to be, or the, you know, Paramount or whoever, you know, made the, the film, it's their vision. What's going to sell? Where is the money coming from? So that's unfortunate.
1: You know, I've even hired people to to shoot scenes for me. So, you know, as an actor, we have to have a reel. Our agents always want to see us in different characters. So I actually hired a company and I was very specific about what I was looking for, because I also wanted trans representation in this reel. They basically couldn't find me someone. It, it, I mean, we're in New York. It, it shouldn't be that big of a shouldn't deal. shouldn't be
0: that hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But even the conversation with them would be, well you know we should just really cast according who's best you know talented most talented for the role and i get that i i agree yeah, with for that sure. but representation also matters because we need to tell th- those stories as well Absolutely. it's very 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 important and i think it it's it's getting better you know thank god but it's it's not
0: not quite there, there yet,
1: yet. Yeah. yeah yeah so um but back to your question earlier, what did I learn in Japan? So my grandmother was Mexican Japanese, but she grew up during World War II when Japanese people were being sent to internment camps in Southern California. So Manzanar was one of them. So when I grew up, she never identified as being Japanese. If you asked her, she would say, I'm Mexican. So she spoke Spanish fluently. She married my uh, grandfather, who was Irish English, very you know traditional, uh, East Coast white uh, Republican male. You know, and that was her life. And you know, so she didn't really touch on the Japanese side of her. So when I was able to go to Japan. You know the food, the culture, the way of thinking, the way of doing things. It made sense naturally in a lot of ways that I, like that. I wasn't really able to experience through my grandmother. So,
0: yeah, I like that's that. what yeah. I learned. There was there was a probably a, definitely a connection that you had. Just yeah, just like being home, like everything kind of made sense. I'm sure.
1: Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the next stop you said was India?
1: Yeah. So I had a really strong pull to go to India for some reason. At the time, I didn't know. So I literally emptied out my my apartment in uh, Tokyo and, you know, gave everything away and then went to India and basically had a a backpack. And then I, I went to Bihar and Bodh Gaya, which is where the Buddha became enlightened. Mm. And I found a Burmese Vihara, which is kind of like a a center for traveling uh, monks. And I lived there for like six months and I learned about uh, Theravada Buddhism at the time. And then- What was um, that
0: like? What was that like?
1: It was- trying to remember what it was like. Um, you know, Bodhgaya is a very interesting place because it's where the Buddha became enlightened under the Bodhi tree. So it's a very special place but the country is actually predominantly Hindu So a lot of times there's sort of this notion that the Buddha is essentially another Hindu God, but you'll hear that conversation or sort of that way of thinking in India. But for those who are listening to the Buddha's teachings and and what you can learn from what the Buddha learned, uh, it transcends a lot of the, you know, Hindu gods and stuff. But at the same time, there are some things that kind of cross over. But like culturally, everything, it, it was another thing, it just made sense, even though logically, it, it wouldn't make sense for someone to say, hey, I'm just going to mo- move to Bodh Bihar, and Bodh is actually one of the, or Bihar is like the state, it's one of the poorest places in India. And there's so much poverty in India. It's like, you'll see kids cleaning the the train or I remember there was a guy who was mentally unstable and homeless and he just wanted to go in and, and be where the, the Bodhi tree and everything. And basically the security like hit him with sticks to get out of there. So you, you see things that are just, it seems so inhumane and the caste hmm. system and Yeah. I was going to start a nonprofit there and I started to do it, but I just didn't have the experience to try to start a nonprofit in a foreign country. So instead I went back to the U S and worked at a non and a more established nonprofit uh, and worked in nonprofit management. But yeah, from, I would say I meditated a lot. I, learned a lot about Buddhism, about, because there's two different, there's um, Mahayana and Theravada, they'll say the larger vehicle or the smaller vehicle. So I learned about that. And then it sort of gave me an, you could say an introduction to Buddhism. And then I went and studied uh, Tibetan Buddhism in Long Beach, California, and had a root guru, and learned more about that. And one of the nuns, Tenzin Kacho, who was Robert Kiyosaki's sister, they wrote a book together, I believe it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but she was very influential in terms of teachings and we would do meditations. Uh, and then I went to Nepal and I uh, lived, Well, I, was, I stayed in the US for a little bit and then I had a desire to go and live in Nepal. And I lived at a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center and led meditations and I was writing a novel. And then it was the same thing—a very strong pull to leave Nepal. So, one of my students said, "You know, she said you should get juicy and move to Bali. You know, because Bali's like alive <laughs> right. and warm." So, I went to Bali. I didn't know Bali was also predominantly Hindu. Right. So, I'm noticing like Hinduism, Buddhism. There seems to be sort of a a, a trend in my life. Uh, And then I was in Bali and uh, I realized that I didn't want to keep traveling and there was a tarot card reader and I said, where should I go? Should I stay in California? Should I go to Boston? Should I go to New York? And she said, everything you want is in New York. So I've been in New York for eight years now and pretty much everything that I've been working on to manifest has happened. I have a husband. You know, I'm happy in my neighborhood in Queens. Uh, just bought rental property. Acting, writing, um, also as an artist, as a painter, working with my guide. It just continues to manifest.
0: Do you feel like the meditation, the travel, all of those things, the, the culmination of all of those things, are what puts you at a place where you can manifest those things, or how did how does that all come about? How does it? Do You know what I'm saying? Like, is it what what puts you in that place where you can do these things? Is it the yeah. meditation? Is it the Buddhism? I don't know if you're Buddhist. I don't know. Or or the way that you do them. You practice your things to manifest, you know, the beautiful art or the photography or an actor or making films or writing.
1: What yeah. is that thing? So I think that because there's a story of a frog of these, I think they're toads or frogs, where one frog is at the bottom of a well and the frog is saying, oh, this, you know, it's so great, everything (laughs) is here. And then there's another frog uh, on outside the well. And he's like, hey, if you come out of the well, there's like this whole world out here and so i think i've been able to kind of be in both places cuz i actually i also lived on an island off the coast of washington when i was a teenager and so i've been in a well in that sense and being outside of the well being able to travel around the world i've traveled through europe and in asia when i was younger i think it gave me a lot of perspective but even through all of those travels there's been in a connection to—it's uh, like—it's like there's a there's a magnet or there's an energy that's there that I've been able to connect with. So there's there's things you could say things that were auspicious or things that would line up. Uh, you would start to notice cycles with things. Um, even so, for example. I was able to always find things. So I would focus, you know, lose your car keys, lose your cell phone, and I can find things. And I was on a a yacht over the summer and the woman had lost her cell phone and I was able to find it. It's kind of like hot potato, cold potato. So it's always sort of been there in terms of the energy. So it was like, how do you engage with that energy? And I believe it's the universe. And I believe that the universe, it's an intelligent, uh, all around us, we're connected to it. But if you have a guide that you can communicate and navigate through that, it it kind of speeds up the process a little bit. And I had set the intention to be able to work with a guide. And so it it finally got to the point where I could, C- communicate. It was auge, uh, audio and then visual, where I could zone in and get sort of this interaction. And so the paintings basically are an expression of that. And so everything that I do with with painting, like the painting behind me, mm-hmm. war paint, it's all like all of the lines. It's all lead. Like some people say, it's like reading energy. Um, Yeah, let's talk, let's talk
0: about the painting behind you for a second. Now is this part of this is part of a collection that you have or is this just a single.
1: Yeah, so this is a part of a collection called the Ascension collection that I have painted I believe there's like 18 paintings if I remember, but. What I'm doing is this painting I'm using within Web3 or NFTs, and I'm using this as my Genesis NFT painting, Genesis, meaning my first one on the blockchain. It's on the Tezos blockchain at object.com, and this painting, it the messaging is that our essence remains in the face of conflict so it's actually Mm -hmm. a native american and their face has been shot at at the bottom and it felt male at first but it's actually like a female warrior who's been shot at so i wanted to be able to continue well let me back up i had this completed minted it put it as an NFT on the blockchain. And then I also got more messaging to continue to grow off of this painting. So I'm doing a derivative collection using AI based off of this one Genesis painting. So there are editions still available of this one NFT that's available. It's like the first one, the first very one affordable price. I think it's like 10 to 15 right now on, on object.com or Picket nook. And then I'm going to move on to doing a collection. That's going to be one of ones.
0: So for everybody who's listening to the podcast on audio, make sure you go to YouTube and and take a look at this painting because it's incredible. The colors are exactly what you said. I see the war. I see the, you know, all the, the, the confusion and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, everything in the middle, the Native American, the like all of those things are happening in this painting. And it's it's incredible, it's just like a ball of energy that's almost like an explosion happening. Um, So please make sure you go to the YouTube version and watch this. And I wanna talk a little bit too about, so this is the genesis for the first um, of the NFTs uh, collection. Let's let's talk a tiny bit about it. I don't, you know, a lot of people who are listening right now don't even know what NFTs are. Can we talk a little bit about that? What is an F- NFT?
1: Yeah, so an NFT is a non-fungible token. So essentially where most people are at right now is called Web2. So Web2 is essentially centralized platforms like Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter. But what we're going into is called Web3. And so within Web3, it's going to be much more decentralized. So what's happening is there's something called a blockchain or blockchains, and it's a public ledger. So it's verified. You can see when the transactions are done. Say that one more
0: time. Say that one more Uh time, because I think that's the the key part that people are missing. It's a blockchain that's public. That people can verify, and blockchain meaning a block of data used to to uh, show transactions.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, and and those transactions are verified. They can't be. It. I mean, maybe they could be hacked, but it's it's pretty impossible that the way there's one method called proof of stake, but it's pretty much impossible to be hacked, and you can't go back in and like edit the blockchain. So it, it's so every transaction on the blockchain or a blockchain because there's more than one it's like a timestamp that's being done. So when I put this painting war paint on the Tezos blockchain I think it was January 11th or 14th if I remember correctly the time the date it's all there uh whoever uh, buys the NFT. It's all there. It's public information. Even my wallet is public information. You can see all my transactions, all the crypto coming in and out. It's public information. So it's very transparent. And so basically you have the blockchain and then you have digital assets. So my painting, I took a photo, put it on the Tezos blockchain. It's a digital asset So it's an asset that can be traded. You can resell it at a higher level. You can hold on to it. And then myself as an artist over the next 30, 40 years, as I continue to grow, the value of my art should continue to increase. So whoever's holding that NFT, the value should increase over the years. If if the artist continues to grow, in my opinion, and then Also, there's a smart contract that's connected to the digital asset. So as an artist, it gives us the opportunity to have royalties for the rest of our life. So this one, NFT, Warpaint, I set the royalty rate at 10%. So if I pass away tomorrow, my husband should receive those royalties. It just goes on and on and on. So as an artist, it's like amazing.
0: So let me ask, I want to, you know, still want to clarify a few things for people. So Tezo being, being, is it a crypto or is it a form of something else?
1: So it's a cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency, but then it's also, you could say the Tezo's blockchain as well. And the main marketplace for Tezo's is called Hicket Nook or object.com. And there's also other ones that are popping up. And the reason why I started off with Tezos or Hickit or object.com is because it's a place for artists to really explore, try new things. It's not a oversaturated market like OpenSea. Uh, You can also buy great art for a very affordable price uh, at object.com or Hicket Nook. So I think it's great. And there's the gas fees are just like pennies to to make a purchase. So I love it. But of course there's other ones. Ethereum is the main cryptocurrency uh, or blockchain that people use. One of the challenges with Ethereum is that the gas can be very high I mean a couple hundred dollars or more from what I've heard but I will eventually be moving over to other blockchains because I believe it's important to diversify because it's this is a very speculative volatile marketplace it's literally in its infancy no one really knows where this is going to be in the next five ten years
0: Absolutely. We do, we do think it's going to be around though. I mean, that's the thing oh, yeah. I think it's going to be around for sure. I want to, let me ask you one more question. So say if I wanted to, how, how, does it work? I want to, I want to invest in your art. Is that what it is? Or I don't, it's not like, you know, paper money where I pay you and I get a physical thing back. It's more, yeah. of an, it's more of investing in an in art. And then as time passes it increases in value and you can reap the benefits from trading or selling that object that uh digital currency is that what it is yeah
1: well okay there's two there's more than one thing going on so uh so for this painting Warpaint nft you would go to Gemini. If you're in New York, that's the exchange. You would transfer your Fiat over to Gemini. And then I also recommend that everyone get a cold wallet. Uh, Ledger is the brand that I use. And the cold wallet is essentially, it looks like a USB. And it you have to put in a code in order for any transactions to happen with your online wallet so that you don't have anyone steal your crypto yep so i highly recommend getting a cold wallet ledger is the one i use and so you would just put you know transfer money from your bank account fiat usd to Gemini, then in Gemini, in its exchange, you can buy crypto. So you can buy Ethereum, you can buy Tezos, whatever you want to buy. So then you would do that transfer. And like I said, crypto is very volatile. So it goes up and down. So it literally you could double your money in one week. It's, it's crazy. Or it could right. go down. So you have to be somewhat comfortable with the idea of volatility and, and, I think being it more for the long run. But then from there, you would then go to a marketplace like object.com or Hicket Nook and set up your wallet. And then you would go to my profile, which is Nathan Harding Art, A R T, or you could look up the name of the painting, War Paint. And then you just go there and then you just make a purchase and you just click on it. And then the Tezos are transferred. Uh, there's maybe a small gas fee of like a couple pennies, and then you own that digital asset. So what you can do with that digital asset is there's, there's different things. So eventually we'll be living in what we'll, we'll, we'll have like a virtual gallery or a virtual space. So you can have the NFT hanging on your wall as a piece of art if you'd like. Or what will likely happen is that an artist like myself, if you bought that non fungible token, if you invested in me early on in my career in this space, there will be probably I'm not promised anything yet because I'm I just started still working like on it. Years ago. <laughs> but I want to be able to then acknowledge or reward the people who have tokens of my art who have NFTs. So I'm still I'm still working on that. So there's potential down the line as things grow. So one example is called a DAO. Uh, which is a whole nother conversation. But another thing that's very common right now is to add a utility onto your NFTs. So within the web three NFT space, you'll often hear IRL, which means in real life. And so what I'm working on right now is being able to provide IRL utility experiences for my collectors and my community. So from war paint, and then I go into the derivative collection, uh, some of the utilities that I'm looking at providing is a guided meditation, uh, and also just a general meditation around war paint, the theme that our essence remains in the face of conflict, and then a higher tier utility would be an actual one-on-one session with me, either through Zoom or a phone call or Google video meet, because I have an ability to communicate with someone. And then what happens is I get visuals and also audio messages. It's kind of like rerouting someone. So imagine you're stuck on the side of the street and you want to get back on the highway to where you want to go. I'll get visuals so what that can look like is I had an actress who wanted to get this job in theater and theater I mean it's kind of alive but it's not really back to where it was before COVID it's kind of you know slim pickings a lot of times so she didn't get the theater job she was depressed had this guided conversation with her with my guide and then rerouted the conversation and now she has uh an offer for a theater job uh in the spring which is like her heart is in theaters like broadway off off broadway yeah, singing sure. that's like where she will blossom um other situations have been i, I know another guy who was in a relationship with a woman the relationship really wasn't going anywhere. It was a very inauthentic relationship. And I kept seeing this visual of this woman with very specific uh, specific cheekbones. And there was a certain energy to her where it's like, you know, that saying where it's like every good man, there's a good woman or every good woman, there's a good man. And it was that kind of combination And now he's married to that woman with the cheekbones, with the energy. Uh, Another one was uh, an actress who wanted to be the the star of her show. She's working on a project. And I kept kept seeing this image of her in a director's chair, uh, like on set, not as like the main lead in a TV show or movie. And I was like, I think it's like a showrunner, director. And she's like, oh, well, I'm writing this for myself. And I was like, well, I kind of see you more in this position. And then like a week later in her networking group, she was talking about her project. And there was a showrunner who said, you know, if you can rewrite this as like a, a show, we can like pitch this together and you can be a showrunner. So that's what I mean by like rerouting
0: people. I right. yeah, don't sure. know
1: where it's going to go. I'm not a medium. I'm not a psychic. It's just an intuitive ability that people are able to benefit and see results, I would say, within a couple of weeks.
0: That's amazing. That And I think that comes from, like you said, like we said earlier, being in tune to yourself through the travel, through the meditation and listening to the inner voice and, and absorbing all the energy around you and being able to, you know, put it out in a, in a way or at least... Acknowledge that, okay, yes, that's what I just got, received. You know what I mean? And channeling it back out. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> you probably yeah. say it a little more eloquently than I do, but yeah.
1: It, it's like, imagine, because I get it on the left side. So imagine, and this was another thing that I was like, I, I this was before I started communicating Alexander Daniels is the the being or the the guide that I work with and even the name is very it's used for this existence for this realm but I used to have the inkling that you know the right side of our 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 brain or whatever is the future and the left side was the past so there used to be like this distinction that I would notice but the the communication comes in on the left side you could say it's near the ear and then you also have to distinguish like is it your ego or is there something else that you're messaging that you're getting and then there's a visual so it's like there's two confirmations but one of the things it's like a translator or you're articulating two things together Mm. and then you're trying to make sense of it to tell the person and sometimes the messaging doesn't i'm like that doesn't even make sense but it lands with that person that's the bizarre thing for me cuz i don't know what's going to land with them
0: right that's interesting wow that's uh pretty incredible yeah that's incredible yeah. have you ever have you ever done i know you work in multimedia you know facets have you ever done say like the art that you have behind you have you ever done that in multimedia facets like have you ever made a film about it and then make, uh, do photography about the same thing and like make across the board.
1: I want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to. That's like on my list of things to do. It's definitely, I want to go... Beyond, I'm also interested in 3D. I'm interested in holograms. Um, I'm interested in doing collaborations. Uh, I'm I'm gay, so I'm I, I think that in the Web3 space, there tends to be a very dominant tech bro narrative. And what happens for people who maybe have traditionally been underrepresented, they kind of get pushed to the side a little bit because that particular narrative is for a very specific audience, which typically is a white cis male. You know, great, you know, we need everyone, but it's not as inclusive authentically as I think we want in a decentralized environment. So one of the things that I'm looking at doing is creating a queer artist collective. So working with other artists who may be underrepresented, it could be the queer LGBTQ community. And then I think as a collective, it will help us get more organized in this space so that when we're doing a project or we're going to work with a gallery or we're going to do an NFT drop I think it will be more powerful. So actually at six o'clock today, I'm gonna be hosting a Twitter space with uh, another artist out of LA. And we're gonna just start that conversation and have a very inclusive and fluid environment for people that are new to the space, people who are already familiar with the space. But I I think it's really important to, to create space for people who may easily get shut out. Like it's, that's something I got really present to, Cause it's easy as an artist, just to focus on you and your art and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's important. You you need to think beyond just what's in it for you and you're paving a, a way. I've heard this term, like you need to leave breadcrumbs for others.
0: Mm, it's very important. Yeah, I'm, it I'm getting
1: teared up. It but, is
0: no, that's that's yeah. beautiful. You're absolutely yeah. right. One last question before I let you go. Do you see this as the future? Are we just leaving tangible art in the dust? I mean, I know as the generations, you know, come up, you know, the millennials, Generation Z, those guys are doing the NFTs. They're doing the digital art. Are we going to get away from just like me having a piece of art? you know, in in your, in your house, something you can hold on to and touch. Is that done?
1: So I've heard two different sides or two different arguments to this topic. Mm -hmm. So one is from a art critic, uh, artist himself, who's also in this space. And his argument is that you need to physically be in the presence of art to experience art because when you're in the presence of it, you will have an you know, an emotion, you'll have a different experience than looking on your uh, cell phone or laptop or, or tablet or whatever, however it's going to be designed. So that's one argument. There's another argument. So I have a friend who works for one of the blockchains uh, for for a centralized company that's doing a blockchain. And he says he doesn't care about physical goods anymore. He just cares about digital goods. So there's sort of like two sides to it. But I think it's going to be a mix of both. I don't think... So the reason why is because I think that what might happen is once there's more mass adoption and everyone's caught up in the hype and everyone's like in it and blah, 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 there might be that trend to really push for everything to be digital and, you know, Web3 and, you know, all this. But I think what then will happen is there will be sort of a return, uh, to actual real experiences, IRL experiences. And I think we even kind of saw that a little bit with web two, where people were realizing that their life experiences were more important than just, you know, working 50, 60 hours a week to get a six figure job and and health insurance. So I think that will happen as well at some point, but I think it will be a, uh, a mismatch or a, m- a mismatch could
0: be. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen too. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and I also think authenticity in the Web three space is actually really important. And I think a lot of people think, "Oh, I can you know come in as an alias or you know use a different name," which I think you know great. But I think there's also going to be a, a a time when we're really going to want an authentic. Uh, connection with people, I think that's going to return. So I do believe AI, Web3, I think it's going to offer us that uh, much faster than what we currently have.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. You hit the nail right on the head with that one. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much. I've learned so much in this, and I'm sure everybody listening has learned a lot as well. Please, everyone, tell us how we can get in touch with you, how we can follow you, how we can connect with you.
1: The best way is to go to Twitter. If you don't have a Twitter account or if you're like, hey, I use Twitter, I got off it. I don't see the point. Go get back on Twitter. I know it sounds crazy. And then just look me up. It's at Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N. My last name is Harding, H-A-R-D-I-N-G, at Nathan Harding. Follow me, you can DM me, my DMs are open. You can probably find me in a Twitter space talking to other artists. That's the best way I think right now to connect.
0: Absolutely, and I have to say that's how we connected and this is how I'm bringing him to you. So everybody please, if you can get a Twitter account, make sure you do that. Nathan, thank you so much for your time. Please, please come back and share with us some more. Everyone go to his gallery, take a look at his work, do a little investing, it might do you good. He's got a lot of yeah. good stuff. Check out the Ascension collection. I did, it's fantastic. Thank you everyone for joining us Joining us here. Uh, my name is Marcos Luis. You can follow me on all social media at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S, Follow the show. Go to Facebook and join the One Mike Night artist community. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. This podcast is available on all digital platforms. You can find us on Anchor FM. In fact, go to anchor.fm backslash One Mike Night if you'd like to support the show. Show us some love. And thank you for joining me for this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs>